the foundation of loving-kindness practice begins with befriending ourselves, begins with learning to look with kindness upon ourselves. Some of you have found it interesting today at just how challenging this very simple way of being can actually be. The Buddha once said, you can search throughout the entire universe for someone who is more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself. And that person is not to be found anywhere. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserves your love and affection. The metta is a very unique way of loving. It is learning to care for not just the parts of ourselves that we consider to be praiseworthy and acceptable, but learning how to embrace often those more hidden parts of ourselves those aspects of ourselves that we sometimes consider to be shameful or that we judge. It is an unconditional friendliness, a warmth that we extend to ourselves not only in those moments when we meet up to our standards of what is good and worthy, but a friendliness that we also learn to extend to ourselves in those moments when we stumble, when we fail, when we disappoint ourselves. And this is surely the true challenge of friendliness. Loving kindness is a love without discrimination. Metta is also a love of great steadiness. It is stable and reliable. It is a love that can be perceived and is present in those times of warmth and happiness that we feel and equally in times of anger and hatred without ever being destroyed. The great gift of metta is that it is without preferences. This is very unlike some of the varieties of love that we experience in our lives. So often we do experience love that is withdrawn, that at times feels betrayed when there is a lack of responsiveness or in the face of rejection. The difference of matter is that it is really not dependent in any way upon what is received or what is faced. But instead matter is like a light, a constant light that guides us through the pains and pleasures of our lives, through the moments of disappointment and success. These characteristics of stability, of reliability, 
of enduringness is actually what makes metta very powerful and is what distinguishes metta or loving-kindness from some of our more conventional and conditioned, perhaps conditioned ways of loving. It's interesting to reflect on what a difference it would make in our lives and what a difference it would make within our relationships to ourselves and to others to actually feel connected with a very unconditional love and friendliness. It is an extraordinary notion in many ways. In many ways, it's a notion that our our minds can't even begin to understand. We are perhaps in our lives more familiar with a way of loving that actually has many more conditions. A love that has expectations of other people, of ourselves, that they be a certain way. And what is it that we expect of other people, that they are the way that we want them to be, that they fit in with our preferences. Sometimes we're aware of ways of relating where we say, I will respect you, I will, or I will care for myself, I will respect myself when I live up to my own expectations of how I should be when I act and think and feel in a way that I consider to be acceptable or in a way that pleases me. So too do we continue, I think, this pattern of loving with others. It is easy, we know, to love when we are surrounded by friends who please us and support us who flatter us, who make us feel good. In those moments, it's actually not a very onerous task to feel warm and friendly in return. It's fairly easy, or easier anyway, to love other people when they fit in with our images of how they ought to be, how they ought to act and think. But what happens, and sadly, it very often does happen in our lives when none of this is present. When we fall short of our own expectations, when we find ourselves feeling or thinking or acting in ways that we hope that we'd left behind us, that we hope never to see again, How do we feel about ourselves in those moments when we do find times of of feelings of bitterness or anger or find ourselves being judgmental or greedy? How do we feel in those moments when the friends that we cared for yesterday suddenly appear or act in ways that we never expected from them? that they challenge us or disappoint us. Sometimes we feel betrayed or abandoned by others or by ourselves. Often what happens is that we forget 
about friendliness. We forget about acceptance. We may fall into very familiar ways of rejecting or denying and forget how to love, forget the power of love. This is really what Mercha is concerned with. This is what Mercha is all about. That Mercha is a love of great steadfastness. The Buddha wants to find what a friend is. And he spoke of a friend as being as someone, someone who is constant, someone who is steadfast, both in times of happiness and in times of unhappiness and confusion. This is a tremendous challenge for us. Again, it is a challenge that's not very easy. It's pretty easy to be around ourselves and to be around other people, to stay connected when we or others are pretty light and untroubled. But everything does change, both inwardly and outwardly. And just as our lives and our hearts and our minds brings us moments of joy and ease. There are times when we are overwhelmed by our own patterns of conflict and confusion, when our lives and our hearts and our minds are upset or in times of difficulty. And so too does this happen with all people. Those times when there is difficulty or struggle or disconnection. The underlying feeling in those times is often one that is very unpleasant, sometimes tense, sometimes feeling charged with conflict. And in those moments, it's really hard to be there. It's hard to stay connected. We are so easily inclined to, to want to escape or to abandon or flee from the moment or flee from ourselves and to find a place that is easier, more pleasant to rest in. Sometimes we succeed in doing this and can do this through changing the external circumstances in our world. You know, we, we rearrange our worlds, we avoid people, we avoid situations that are unpleasant. Sometimes we can't do that. We feel very entangled, very trapped within a situation or with a person that's difficult. And because we can't flee outwardly sometimes, we flee inwardly to a place of more distractedness or fantasy or daydreams. It takes such a remarkable commitment and dedication to stay present and open-hearted in these moments, to also have the wisdom to know, too, that this is already in a process of changing into something else. It takes a remarkable perseverance and devotion to bring to those moments a sense of warmth and welcome and friendliness. Metta is a very unique way of loving. 
in that as it really begins to take root and begins to develop within ourselves, we really begin to understand that matter is not dependent on what it receives. That it is a giving of friendliness and warmth that is so powerful that in a very real way, that giving is an offering to itself. We really begin to appreciate that our capacity to love is what enriches our world. This, too, is actually very unlike many of our, not all, but perhaps many of our experience of loving, which ways of loving which are sometimes sustained by what is received in return. Sometimes we sense that within ourselves, that we can say or feel towards another person, that I will love you, I'll, I'll care for you, I'll be warm towards you as long as I receive in exchange some very similar feelings. And if I don't receive them, then my warmth and friendliness may be withdrawn and perhaps directed to someone or to something where the return or the reassurance is more tangible and more immediate. We often do, and this is not to condemn it in any way, but to be aware that sometimes we, we do love with an agenda, an, an agenda about what we want to get back. And our list about this is sometimes very long. You know, I want to get back support or praise or reassurance or a feeling of safety. I think it's helpful to see that loving with an agenda is very often loving with grasping and with desire, with attachment. And that this way actually makes loving a very fragile state. If we were to search the whole world over, do we actually believe that we would ever find a perfect person? A person who was endlessly stable, eternally warm, perfect in all ways, without frailties, without imperfections, who was unchanging, This is not the nature of ourselves. And yet sometimes we do anticipate that this can be the nature of someone else. Loving with an agenda is like a loving that has a built-in failure system. Somehow it has no foundation to sustain it. The Buddha described the mind of metta, or the mind that was filled with love, as resembling space, as being boundless and limitless, without reserve. Describe this kind of spacious and boundless mind as one that could never be betrayed or destroyed by whatever it encounters. Now, I think we all appreciate that sometimes 
this feels like too big a concept to think about. Even when we say, may all beings be happy, you know, there's that little voice within ourselves that says, well, that's totally impossible. You know, it's not even logical. There can never be a moment in this world where all beings will be happy. I think sometimes when we try to think of a way of being where we feel a boundless love and affection, it seems, for all beings, it feels like an impossibility. But I think also it is something of an error or a mistake to try and entertain huge concepts. What we do... What we are actually doing when we practice metta, and that's what we're practicing here, what we actually do when we practice metta, when we stay close to our metta phrases, is actually really very simple. We're not trying when we practice metta to take care of the past, to undo the past, or to, we're not trying to disentangle all of the things that have happened to us in the past. We're not trying to change the past. We're not trying to, you know, find some acceptable answers in the past. When we practice metta, we're not trying to take care of the future. We're not trying to take care or guarantee all of the things that might happen to us in the future, all of the changes that we might go through, or to try and protect ourselves from all of the things that we might encounter. You know, we don't wake up in the morning and say, well, it's a really good day to be really judgmental towards other people, you know, or it's a really good day to really be filled with aversion, you know, and we don't actually choose them, and yet somehow they appear like a habit, like a shadow. What we dwell upon and what we attend to shapes our world. When what we dwell upon are these very repetitive stories, sometimes our world does feel very constricted and surrounded by boundaries, sometimes by boundaries of regret or discontent or anger or craving. So in staying with our meta practice, we are letting go over and over not ignoring or dismissing our stories. Many times there are things we need to learn from our stories. But the learning that comes doesn't come through dwelling. It doesn't come through resistance. It doesn't come through uh, beating ourselves out of the head with our stories. Sometimes the learning, most often the learning and the deepest learning in our lives, comes in an environment of spaciousness, of calmness, of openness, of acceptance. That is where actually we learn the most deeply. In learning to let go, to not dwell upon our stories, in many ways they become just a little bit less solid, just a little more transparent, that we feel through letting go just a little more space, a little bit less trapped, And I think the wisdom element of metta really begins to emerge. Because metta practice is not not trying to get a, 
a contrived or an artificial mental state of friendliness. You know, it's not trying to be loving. It's not trying, you know, it's not a kind of sentimental mind state that we're trying to cultivate that disappears as soon as we drop our phrases. The wisdom element of metta, one of them is seeing the way our world is shaped by what we give attention to. Another of the wisdom elements of matter is actually very, very deeply seen on a moment-to-moment level, the relationship between suffering and its cause. Another of the wisdom elements that comes through matter is really beginning to understand that much of the suffering in our lives may very well be optional, that it may be possible to step out of the web of suffering and entanglement. Learning to have confidence and trust in our capacity to let go, to return again to that spark of friendliness and warmth within ourselves and to see the healing that comes through that. Part of the wisdom element of matter too It's really seeing the the I nature of our stories, the self nature of much of our suffering and separation. You know, how many of our stories built upon this I notion are really built upon feelings of separation and our fears and anxieties around separation and our angers about separation as we begin to rest more and more in loving-kindness, that that central sense of I within our stories also begins to become a little bit more transparent, a little bit less solid. And so, too, this sense of separation, of distance, of apartness, becomes to be a little more transparent. Perhaps it is not so real after all. It is wisdom that leads us to follow the pathway of the heart. It is actually wisdom that leads us to cultivate metta and and loving-kindness. The wisdom of not feeling willing any longer in our lives to just consent blindly to suffering, but to understand it, to appreciate the power of loving-kindness, of friendliness, of seeing clearly. Metta practice, as we practice it, it simplifies our world. It simplifies the moment. It simplifies our relationship to this moment and leads to a place of ease. In the Sargadatta Maharaj, who is a very well-known teacher in India, once said that wisdom teaches me that I am nothing and love teaches me that I am everything. We have just a couple of minutes quietly together.